you're listening to the Rosenfeld Review. And my name is Lou Rosenfeld. I'm very happy you're here. And I'm very happy our guest today is here, Lisanne Norman, co-director of DEI at the Hotchess School in Connecticut, uh, and a uh, former uh, UX researcher, user researcher, I guess that, you know, I don't want to get into, open up a, a, a can of uh, worms right out of the gate. So we can come back to, uh, what would be the preferred term, Lisanne? What would you, what did you used to do? Is it, would you say it was UX research or user research? Or is it, is it all the same? You all the same to me, UX research is what we used to call it. Yeah, well, um, and you left it, I which did. is really interesting because uh, you were uh, doing some uh, research at, in some pretty high-profile places like uh, like Visa uh, and uh, Dell Computer, um, or Dell Technologies, I guess, uh, is, is technically the correct uh, name of that organization. Before we get into that journey, uh, I do want to mention to our listeners that Lisanne is speaking at Advancing Research 2023, which is taking place March 27th through 29th virtually. It's coming up fast. And uh, Lisanne's talk is called Why I Left Research. So let's start with why you got into research. Okay, that's a good one. Um, it, it actually happened quite um, by accident. <laughs> Truthfully speaking, um, I had moved to Austin, Texas, and thought that I would be doing some adjunct teaching that didn't quite work out at UT Austin. Um, and I'd done uh, part of my degree in social anthropology, right? So I'm an ethnographer as well as an anthropologist. And a friend of mine um, who also graduated there, she goes, hey, you know what? You know, you're in Austin, Texas. That's like the new tech hub. Do you know that tech companies pay people with social science degrees a lot of money to talk to people? And I said, stop it. That's silly. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, that was my first reaction. I was like, what do you mean? Get paid for that. Um, get paid for that right and so i was like tell me more and she told you know a little bit and so i i did a search for some companies in austin um found uh this great company Sentier research and i was like i know how to conduct interviews talk to people analyze it look for themes patterns and then sort of you know sort of tell you do an analysis and let you know like what i found these are my skills this is what i have and they were like great come and do this, you have this project for Dell, come on in and take over, here's your seven person research team, go. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> they were like, you know what, you can do this, we'll help you. Um, and it was honestly, it was one of the best jobs I've ever had in my life. Um, I had to learn how to, I'd never written a survey mm -hmm. in my life, I had to learn how to write a survey. <laughs> I had to learn how to give a survey, analyze a survey. I had to I learn about, you know, you, how to use Zoom. I didn't know what Zoom was, right? Um, you know, I had to sort of think about how to do, um, put together uh, PowerPoint presentations, but in a sh like short, pithy way that would be understandable for the executives at Dell that we were doing this research for. Um, and it was, you know, I loved it. I loved, you know, having the team work together, learning, doing some graphic design, learning how to, um, you know, sort of, because we did everything. We did a customer journey, mm -hmm. right? Dell wanted to understand what is every possible touch point from the time someone thinks about, 
thinks about buying a personal computer until they've incorporated into their lives for a year, right? So they really wanted this sort of really long-term setting, which was a really good entrance for me, mm -hmm. right, as an anthropologist into doing sort of UX research. Um, but then sort of learning, you know, how to do diary studies along the way, like all these different modes of research that I hadn't thought of, didn't even know existed. And so it was, it was actually really fabulous and challenging and wonderful. Um, and I just kind of didn't look back for the next six years. <laughs> so you were, you were getting paid not just to talk with people, but to learn all, really uh, all kinds of new tools for doing yes. just that. Yeah. And that was that I was like, this is incredible. I was like, you're just <laughs> you're helping me like increase my toolkit and you're paying me to do this, um, you know, on the fly with a great team that we were, you know, we started learning how, like sharing skill sharing. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that's something, too, that, you know, in order to, to do more stronger team building. And it was just it was it was wonderful. Honestly, like I said, it's the, the best job that I've had um, in a really long time. So. Um... You're really happy, and you're hanging out in Austin. Uh, and how long were you in the the role with Dell? Uh, with well, so with the consulting firm, Sintier Research, oh. for a year. But then, because I'd done research um, for Dell, when the time came for sort of, you know, I wanted to try something new, more challenging. Um, you know, I reached out to the woman at Dell that I'd done the research for, the VP. She was mm -hmm. like, "Hey." you know all of this stuff about our website, about, you know, like the different pages about, you know, our, our ordering portal. Why don't you come work at Dell? And I was like, okay, like, all right, let's, let's do this. Sure. Um, and that was great because then I got, to, then I was on the other side, right? So now I'm at Dell, a part of their um, design team working like directly on teams with designers you know, with PMs, um, you know, and actually just working in tandem and with each other and starting to learn how to do like, you know, like write testing, right? Mm -hmm. And doing more iterative, like on the spot work. And I was like, oh, this is, this is pretty cool. Like, this is very different than being on the agency side, right? So then I got, again, once again, like expanding <laughs> my knowledge, expanding the toolkit um, and understanding sort of like what it, you know, from the concept of a product to then actually seeing it ship. Like, I didn't know what that was. Somebody's like, yeah, we've got a ship. I was like, ship what? Like, I don't, we're not, we're not nobody talking about, right? So learning this lingo, um, really getting to understand more and more what designers do, what tools they use. Cause before I just been sort of coming up with the thing, sending it over and being like, okay, keep it moving. But now actually it's like being a part of that process and seeing something all the way through. Um, and then seeing at such a large place like Dell is humongous, mm -hmm. right? Like in very siloed. And then, you know, and it was just around the time that they had um, acquired EMC. And so they were like, wait, we might need to redesign our whole entire website. Can you come and be a part of that? And I was like, uh, okay, <laughs> like, let's so then, right, big, even bigger team. And that was a really... Um, interesting project and and to 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 work with different facets like marketing um you know to sort of understand like how 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 do we retool this website mm -hmm. and make it something that's accessible for you know um you know b2c b2b like every or or they were like or do we just need to separate it out completely right so it was just to talk about to talk that through and then talk to folks to find out well what do you want what do you look for when you come to this website, what do you need? 
Um, yeah, that was a super interesting project. And that project went on for a while. Um, and then while I was at Dell, Visa came knocking mm. on my door with another opportunity um, to be a part of a team building from the ground up um, to look at helping them rethink and redesign the internal tools mm -hmm. that these employees were using. Um, so I was like, oh, hmm, that sounds like another challenge. <laughs> Wow. So you're like, all right, so you, you start in, uh, in this agency and they're, you're getting paid to learn. And then uh, Dell peels you away and you're like taking that knowledge you had working with him as a consultant. You're now at Dell. You're getting to understand what makes designers tick, but also marketing people and product people, maybe developers, you're doing a bunch of information architecture, if I may say. Yeah. Uh, and um, it sounds really fascinating. And then you get recruited to go to Visa and work on uh, internal tools and a whole bunch of interesting challenges there, I imagine. Yes, that was extremely interesting because although they had a design department, right? Like they had a whole like design no one really worked with the internal tools. Mm -hmm. Like these tools were, you know, you looked at some of them, literally the parts of it they were using, like it looked like something out of the 1980s. I was like, this is like, <laughs> I was like, how do you expect people to be efficient? They have you to, know? they have to right? use it. They have to use it. They, they can do it, right? And it was like things, something like it was taking someone like 13 different applications to help somebody, you know, like get a new car or something. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was just... So it was, you know, for the first time, these engineers and developers were having to interface now with somebody who's talking about, well, design, like, did you think about like the, you know, user friendly, you know, like user focus, and they were like, what are you talking about right now? <laughs> like, we've been doing it fine, just can't you just tell us to fine tune this, this, and then that's it. Like this should take like two, it was, it was just really, so now it was time to like evangelize, honestly, like that, it became now I'm in a place where, you know, and dealing with a, a particular part of the company that had never been, had never thought about mm -hmm. um, the tools they were creating in that way. So it was a lot of like roadshow, like we literally created a UX roadshow to talk about how much money and time would be saved right like roi of ux research this is why you do it um and that was that was really interesting because at that time visa was really you know had been this traditional financial company that was really trying to shift and turn themselves into more of a fintech company mm -hmm. and to, you know and then and, and thinking about like what did that mean um, while in Austin, that made sense, right? Because that, that's what Austin's about. They bought this great new, but the majority of the company resides in, in you know, Foster, California, where most of them, that was a, that was the experience that they had. Mm -hmm. um, so it was a really interesting, um, like, you know, meeting of those two and that, and that crossroad where Visa was really sort of taking that, that leap and, and really trying to embrace that. And then folks who were resistant to it but then a lot who were who were slowly becoming open to it once they you know spoke to us and we sort of could show them like hey this would be a benefit right like doing these like design thinking and like co-working workshops with developers you know with the the marketing person like with like all of us in a room being like okay like we all have input and see it from this different way, but like, what ideas do we have? What ways do we think that we could take these 13 apps and put them into like three? <laughs> like that is the challenge. Let's do this. Um, so that was, again, 
totally different work, right? Like I'd never done that. And I was like, all right, let's, let's do this. And again, it was, it was exciting. It, and I was learning and growing and, and the team was, was learning and growing. Um, I, we were, I was on a team with somebody who did change management, which I had, mm. I had no idea about. Right. Be- and then I, which was awesome. Cause then it was like, okay, so we're going to change this thing. How are we going to get people to adopt it? How are we going to get people to transition and get used to it? Right. Um, and so that also just learning that and think and trying to think about that too, like kind of keeping that in the back of my mind as I was thinking about the research that we need to do to come up with. Well, so, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you, you can, I'm sure you can tell there's a lot of enthusiasm in our guest's voice. Uh, Lisanne, you know, I'm seeing you, I can see you and you're smiling and you're gesturing with your hands and talking about all these wonderful things that you experienced uh, in your work as a researcher. And yet your talk at Advancing Research 2023 is why I left research. Um, I almost feel bad making that into a question, but so what happened? Um, you know, in the midst of all of this learning and growing and, and move, was still a lot of microaggressions, mm. right? Was still a lot of times when um, having to, to point out, you know, have we thought about all the users? Have we thought about who might be the most marginalized of users for this product? And having people look at me like I was crazy. Have we thought about, because, you know, again, like if we design for the most marginalized, everybody benefits. Mm -hmm. And they're like, we don't have that. That sounds like that's going to take a lot of time. We don't have time for that. (laughs) So just that's, you know, but, but having to sort of point out like where that can go wrong, right? Like talking about products that haven't done that. So people are left out and then harmed, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and then also to people, you know, honestly, you know, ignoring suggestions that I've made. And then if, you know, a white male coworker made the same suggestion being like, oh, oh, let's, let's consider that. And literally sitting at a meeting thinking that I'm crazy because I just said that. Um, and, and, and then when pointing that out to people, having people be like, oh, oh, I didn't, oh, I didn't hear that. And I was like, but we were all just in the same room. Right. And so then I had to, I found myself in this position where I was like taking the craziest notes, like the most, like, this is what was said by this person, this is what was said by this person in order to then be like, wait, wait, but like, remember, you know, I'm taking these notes, like here, let me show you what, and people being like, oh, um, you know, co-people assume coming into a room, I was a director at Visa, mm-hmm. um, and I had um, a number of junior colleagues that uh, were white um, and a little older than me. And, you know, people coming into a room and assuming that my colleague who was junior to me was the director and the person coming in to talk about, right? Because, you know, they didn't, I didn't have my picture up anywhere. This, mm-hmm. you know, we were just meeting for the first time. Um, and that, you know, and sort of also just that, like con- that continually. And then it, you know, then moving, then leaving sort of these to be like, okay, you know what, I'm, I'm tired of struggling to um, advance this, you know, UX research in this particular department, um, as well as, you know, sort of, you know, this is, it was just a more traditional company and thinking, okay, you know, and, and dealing with the level sort of, you know, some of the sexism, some of the the race of the bias, like, hey, I'm gonna, you know, now switch to this new, young, hip, 
happening uh, e-commerce platform in Austin. And, you know, thinking like, oh, it's young and it's infancy, it's going to grow, I'll be able to have influence and we'll be hiring like a diverse group of folks um, and come to find out absolutely not. Mm. I started working at this e-commerce platform and found my, I was the only black person when I started and I was like, okay, well, this is, you know, we're going to grow like rapidly, like, you know. And then three months later, we were at like 200 and I was still the only black person. Oh, my. And I was like, okay, this is (laughs) this is hard to come into an office every day and to not see anyone that looks like you to, you know, sort of to ask, you know, what what are we doing about recruiting for diversity? And then and I, I fell prey to this. They were like, well, can you help us? And I was, and I, I initially did. I sort of put together this presentation. It was like, okay, there are these places to network. And then I was like, wait a minute, this is not my job. You didn't, I'm not a recruiter. <laughs> you didn't bring me here. This is someone else's job, right? you know? Like, and, and so falling into that, you know, that I've, you know, again, talking to other women of color and like that ends up happening. You now all of a sudden now there's this other, like this other job that you have because you've brought this up and pointed this out. Um, And sort of starting to push back at that, you know, I found, you know, I was like, okay, well, I'd like to be included on interviews and then only finding myself included on interviews when the candidate was black. Mm. And I was like, this is strange. I was like, and and then pointing it out and being like, does nobody notice this, you know, sort of, can we all um, sort of take note of people like, oh yeah, no, no, no. We want to have this really diverse company, but we can't, we can't find people. It's really hard. You know, it's Austin. And I was like, it's actually not, I actually know a lot of (laughs) there's people in Austin, particularly who move here to work in tech. It's just, are you, are you reaching out? Like, how are you going about? Are you holding fairs? Are you like, you know, holding like an open, like there were just so many things that they could have been doing, Um, you know, and, and continually sort of, you know, confronting this, you know, sort of talking about, you know, particularly too in the research being like having to fight to be like, okay, we're creating this e-commerce product that platform that everyone is going to use. So we have to make sure that the participants that we recruit are diverse, right? And having to struggle with that. And then again, we hire a recruiting company. I have to tell the recruiting company, like, here are these other places you should be looking here. How about doing your job for them? Exactly. And I was like, so I'm doing my job (laughs) just to come up with the research plan to come up and your job and and I and 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 refuse to let it go because I was like no there's no way that you telling me that we're in Texas and we can't find a diverse group mm-hmm. of participants to you know for this you know that's impossible you're going to you're going to we're going to work it out so it was again just that it just it became very draining honestly well, I- if right? I can, like, I yes. mean, you, the way you were describing it a, a moment ago, maybe when you were still at Visa and you were taking all these notes, uh, I envision you like having this weight that you're dragging when everyone else is is unencumbered. Like you've got a like, you've got like this cognitive weight that's like getting in the way of you doing your work because you're like. I have to do my work and I have to like keep an eye on what the hell is going on around here and document things that nobody else has to think about. Yeah. And, and it is that right. And it, and it's that sort of extra burden that people don't talk about and that nobody is aware of. And I think we're starting to talk about it more, but it, it, it starts, it was, 
it was literally weighing me down, particularly when I got to the e-commerce mm-hmm. um, startup in in Austin. It was literally weighing me down. I had a I met some friends that I hadn't seen in a while, and I got them. They're like, "Are you okay? Like, you don't look okay." You know, mm-hmm. I had I had people. You know, I had a friend showing up at my house. She knows I love wine, and she just she was a young colleague that I'd mentored. And that like, you know, had ended up, you know, helping her, you know, work at Visa. And by this, I'd moved on and she just showed and I'd seen her. She just showed up at my house one day and I was like, oh, hey, Karen, I wasn't expecting you. She was like, here's this bottle of wine. I thought about you. And when I saw you last week, the way you looked, I thought that this could cheer you up a little bit somehow mm. because I've never, I never, she's like, I never thought that you could look like that, but it does start to weigh you down like mentally, physically. So I, I even found myself at work, you know, like not it taking so much for me to do something that I that I really enjoyed that I wanted to do but something that would take me a day taking days because I I just to find the will um and it was just you know it was it was really becoming too much and then the pandemic happened was you know so you know here you were on this journey you were I mean like I said you, you still just radiate enthusiasm for the early part of that journey when you joined the field was there a was it the pandemic or something else that was the straw that broke the camel's back? It was so. It was the, the e-commerce platform. Then the pandemic happened, and I took a break. I, I paused. Uh-huh. Right. I paused. We were all home. I started baking bread like everybody else, and <laughs> you know, goes well with wine. Goes well with wine. Started contemplating like maybe we should brew beer in our back. It just you know all the all the things, right? But at the same time, had just started. Um, had really just started uh, Black UX Austin, um, which is, you know, we're aiming to get to nonprofit status, but we started it for like Black folks who did UX and who to provide a community that we could talk about the things we're going, that we could share resources, that we could, you know, bring in speakers to talk to us about their journey and learn from that. And so I was spending more and more time so doing that and sort of, you know, re- hearing the stories of other experiences of other folks, but still creating this community to sort of to help and thrive, right? Um, and sort of doing that, I met um, this woman who was working at Microsoft and I was just like inspired by her and she was still doing UX research. And I was like, you know what, I'm okay. I, maybe I'm not done yet, you know? And so, you know, a couple companies had reached out um, and then Gusto reached out to me. And they, you know, at first I was like, I don't know anything about like a platform. Like, I don't know anything about healthcare. I don't know anything about like, I, that's just not, you know, my wheelhouse. So thank you, but no, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they came, they just kept coming back. And then they started telling me about the work that they were doing to combat predatory payday lending mm. by allowing hourly employees to borrow against their future paychecks with no fee and no interest. And I said, oh. I was like, oh, okay, you're doing good in the world. You're doing the kind of work that makes me want to work at a company like this, right? And so I said, I was like, that's what you should have started with, but let's talk, right? Mm -hmm. Now that I know this is the kind of work you're doing and this is more aligning, because at this time I'd started to get more involved with my school, you know, George Floyd had happened and we were, you know, really talking more about how how do we create a more diverse and inclusive design, but just world period, right? And so now I was like, this seems to be the time when companies are thinking differently, wanting to, you know, behave differently and sort of, and and to think about their products differently. And I was like, okay, 
this sounds like a place that like, you know, <clears throat> that I can have some impact. Um, and so I said, Hey, I'm going to go back and I'm going to go back and do this. I'm not done yet. I'm not done with you. Yet. So let's, let's, you know, like this sounds awesome, but I want to be a part of this. Um, and also to come a company where like now people were actually talking, like I, I didn't have to, it wasn't like something secret and I didn't have to sort of push people to talk about diversity um, and inclusion, but it's one thing to talk about it and it's another thing to actually do it. Um, and so we were talking a lot about it, mm -hmm. but again, I started to be like, what are we doing like in our design process? What are we doing? How are we incorporating it? Are we are we thinking our and confronting our own privilege and our own biases before we even start to think about creating a product? Are we having those discussions? Are we being upfront and honest about it because they play a role in the things that we create? Um, and so I started to talk about like I was like think about the products out there, right? Like you know look at the research on self driving cars that are more likely <laughs> to hit people with darker skin tones. I was like, why is that? Because there was no one programming and feeding into, because it was like, it's AI. I was like, somebody feeds these images mm -hmm. into there. They weren't feeding images of people of color because they weren't thinking about them, right? Again, it's about who has a seat at the table. Like I like to tell people about, you know, it, it becomes very personal. I have very thick, long hair, got a lot of hair. I travel a lot. Every time I go through the scanner security machine, they always, my hair sets it off every single really? time. Every single time. And initially the first few times like that it was happening, I had to suffer the indignity of people putting their hands mm. in my, I, as much as I was like, no, I manager, but I had a plane to catch. And they're like, you will not get on your plane if we can't check your hair. And so after that, I had to start adding an additional 45 minutes, even though I lived in Austin, which is a very small airport, and I had to start adding, and it's because also too, what I realized in Austin, this didn't happen to me in New York, it didn't happen to me in Boston, it didn't happen to me in, but in Austin it did, and I was like, are there not a lot of black people with locks coming through Austin? Like this, it literally, and so it just, something as simple as that, and the woman said to me, she was like, you know, ma'am, it's the machine, and it's, and I was like, no, 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 no. They put a man on the moon, you cannot tell me that we cannot create a machine <laughs> that can scan my hair texture. No, that is not, it just, it wasn't considered, right? Words in a consideration, again, not thinking about something more universal, right? Thinking very narrow-minded about who's gonna come through this machine, who's gonna use it. Probably didn't test it on anybody who had, you know, thick mm -hmm. enough long hair. And so now this, and, and so that I'm like, this is the world that we live, in, but this is the world that we can change, right? When you're in, when you're in these positions, this is the possibility of that is, and that's why I think about, you know, and that's why I went back to being, it goes, like went back to UX and Gus, cause I was like, we, there needs to be more of us at the table, a part of the conversation talking about these things. And the more than our, hopefully our coworkers will then start to think about this, right? And that it'll become something that's just embedded in the design, in our thinking processes, you know? Well, you know, I, I, I think this would be the perfect time for us to take a quick break because what I want to do after the break is talk about what it might take to get you back. Everyone, you're listening to the Rosenfeld Review. We are going to take that quick break. See you in a moment. Hey, it's Lou. 
And I want to take this opportunity to tell you how excited I am, not about a conference this time, but actually about books. Yes, we still publish books. In fact, I think we're putting out 10 this year. Some of them just came out hot off the press. Some of them are about to come out and are available at a discount. We've already published Changemakers, How Leaders Can Design Change in an Insanely Complex World this year. It's uh, by Maria Giudice and Christopher Ireland. It is many of the nuggets of the greatest design leader minds that are out there in the industry right now about affecting change. Closing the Loop Systems Thinking for Designers just came out like a week ago by Cheryl Kababa. Oh my goodness, is it selling. That is a book that really has hit on a note because there's so many people in our field who need to step back or want to step back and look at things through the lens of systems thinking as macro practically as you could get. Closing the Loop by Sheryl Kababa is available. Strategic Content Design Tools and Research Techniques for Better UX by Erica Jorgensen is coming out in April. That is available from us on pre-order at 15% off. Another book that's getting uh, a lot of sales, certainly, and a lot of interest because content design is maturing. We need to test our content, and Erica's got you covered there. We've also got other books coming from people like Donna Leachaw, Kate Towsey, Dan Maul, Janae Khan, Michael Greer, Jorge Arango, Aaron Weigel, and on and on. So it's going to be quite a year. Check them all out, rosenfeldmedia.com or at some other places that sell books like the, the one that starts with A. Welcome back to the Rosenfeld Review. Lou Rosenfeld with Lisanne Norman, uh, a, a woman of color who was excited to be in research, couldn't believe how wonderful it was. And as you heard uh, before the break, uh, uh, after a while, um, felt the need to leave for a variety of reasons. But um, we need people like you back in the field. And uh, I'm sure you're doing some enjoyable and really great stuff at the Hotchkiss School. Uh, Lisanne is uh, teaching African-American studies courses in addition to uh, serving as a co-director of diversity, equity, and inclusion there. Uh, that's your, uh, your, your high school, uh, you're an alumna of that school. But uh, uh, we want you back. What might it take? That's a great question. Um, I th when I think about it, I think what it would take is to see a greater investment more consistently um, on the parts of, of tech companies into you know recruiting and retaining, not mm -hmm. just recruiting, but retention. We talk a lot about recruitment um, of you know BIPOC folks and you know various industries, but we never, I don't think we talk enough about retaining. And I think what is required, you know, some of these companies is to think about the culture of their companies. Have, have, do you have a porous enough culture that you're thinking of people as culture ads and not culture fit, right? Are you truly creating an environment in which someone can, as people keep asking, show up as your authentic self, right? So add versus fit is what yes. you said that's a really really interesting nuanced difference there right. how, how can we get to uh fit that supports retention 
I don't think we get to, because like, I think it fit, sounds too restrictive, right? I think that it's about ad. It's about the, being able to ha- create a culture that is, you know, that's flexible enough that it can, you know, like this person can come in and add to the culture, oh, right? And I'm sorry. I, on it. <laughs> I, I think I interpreted it backwards. I was thinking that you want people to fit together rather than feeling like they are an ad to something already there. I see now. Yes. No, but it's more about expansion, but adding and, and expanding, mm-hmm. right? To then be able to to encompass and to be able to, so that people don't feel uncomfortable, you know, that someone doesn't have to feel like a lot of times, you know, like code switch, BIPOC people come in and they code switch, right? They have to be different, think different, talk different than they do when they're not at work or when they're, when they're in a, when they're in, you know, when they're not in a PWR, when they're not in a predominantly white space. Hmm. And it's time for us to, that kind of, again, that even is sort of, you know, you sort of, that's now you're splitting who you are and sort of mellowing it out to be more, um, you know, people, folks, other folks to be able to consume who you are. And it's like, no, that's, that it shouldn't be right. And I think companies need to sort of, you know, look at their, the culture of their company and be like, what, what are we doing? Are we saying that we want people to come in and assimilate or are we saying we want people to show up and help us to expand mm. who and what we are right and that's not that's not easy because we haven't been operating like that right but i think one of the ways to to start to do that if you already have bipoc folks at your company ask them honestly like you know what's what's happening with you you know like do you feel that you can show up and be your authentic self here do you feel that you're being heard do you feel like you're being encouraged or recognized, you know? And I think that, and it's, and when I think about it too, it's not even just um, folks of color, but just even neuro, neurodivergent folks, mm-hmm. you know, they're people who learn differently. You know, one of the, my things for myself, I had my own bias that I had to confront is when hiring, I was like, everyone has a college degree. And then I did this amazing South by show with um, a woman who she'd never graduated from college, but she was rising up in the health tech field, you know, and it was the experience that she gained. And I, and I had to, you know, sort of check myself to be like, oh, that's my own bias. How do I now start to think about when I'm hiring, looking at, you know, people who don't have or finding a way to encourage people who have the experience and the knowledge, but maybe don't necessarily have a degree and then a degree from, you know, a school that I know or that I'm familiar with. Um, so I think it's all sort of, you know, confronting the bias, you know, thinking about, you know, how do you make sure that your culture is one that is additive and not just, you know, so tight and constrained that it, that someone has to assimilate. Um, I think those are two. There's some others that I'm going to have and talk about in my talk to sort of some suggestions that I very pointed ones that I have for companies, but I'll leave it at that for now. Mm-hmm. Um, Oh, I do then, have a question, though. Yes. Um, like, I, I don't want, yes, we don't want to give away all the great stuff you're going to cover at Advancing Research. However, um, I wonder if a, another thing to explore, and again, maybe it's in your talk, is uh, helping companies or, or encouraging companies to learn from past models of successful adding. If they mm. have them, like, let's say, you know, women becoming fully integrated into a company's workforce and culture. Is that a model you've seen uh, useful to emulate or are there other models or are those models just too different to really apply here? No, I don't think that they're too different, right? I think there's definitely similarities, right? You're, you're, you're changing 
your company, the, the your company culture to accommodate or to 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 sort of to be able to fully serve a different demographic, right? So I think they're like the Zambia, like you know, incorporating more women. I think there's things that we can definitely learn from that. But what we have to recognize is that you know each group has their own specific challenges, right? And each group mm-hmm. sort of come to the table with different things. So even with a lot of companies, I you know I sort of push them to be like you know. It's you can't have the exact same strategy or think that, you know, you're going to create the same policies or restructure to help, you know, get more African-Americans as you would Latinx. Right. Like you have you have to think about the different issues that those populations face and the different backgrounds that they come from. You can't it's not one one size fit all. (laughs) And so that requires a little bit more work. Right. Like that's just the reality of it. Um, but the benefits of it are just are so much greater. Like, again, we all know the research, a company is just more productive, and better when there is a diverse group of folks working there at the table making decisions that that's just, you know, I'm like, Harvard Business Review all come on, like, let's, <laughs> these are facts. Now let's let's make it happen. Right. Like it's it's and it's been interesting to see, you know, there were all these calls and, and I'm going to talk about my talk, like in 2020, oh, and all these pledges and folks are going to make and how this was going to change so much. It's like, okay, let's see, let's see where we are, right. right? A few years on, you know, like have we really shifted and changed as much, you know, given the amount of attention and and and, and pledges that were put forth? That's something for us to think about. Well, I hope you'll be back. I know, um, certainly looking forward to learning more at your talk at Advancing Research later this month. Uh, but before we wrap up, I do have my request, as I do for all of our guests. Would you bring us? What's the gift? So my gift is a company called Posit, and it's people of color in tech. Um, and they're just a wonderful platform, right? I, I just have to read their mission because when I every time I read, I'm like, yes, their mission is to build the place for people of color to thrive in tech, to inspire them, help them enter, level up and secure what they call the bag, you know, which is just a great position um, in tech and then a great way to build uh, generational wealth. And, and they, they have a weekly newsletter that they talk about stories. They provide tips on, you know, how to get into tech, how to get into different um, careers in tech on their website. They also have a podcast where, you know, it's sort of this go-to for, they talk about tech, pop culture, and life. They also have most significantly, a job platform where you can learn about jobs from all different types of companies, as well as companies can post jobs. Mm-hmm. Now, they do ask that companies pay. Why? Because this is a platform, this is a service. They're helping you from both sides of it. And I think this is a way to sort of, again, just to build a networking for companies and a way to, you know, have a great outlet to find, if you're really looking and you really want to find great BIPOC um, employees for tech, this is a great platform for it. So I really encourage folks to, to check it out, to sign up for it, um, because they're they're doing great things to move, to move our goal forward of having just a more diverse um, platform, particularly a more diverse workforce in tech industry. That's great. And uh, that it's a great place to post positions. Uh, I'm really glad you you made that point. Uh, again, the organization is Posit, People of Color in Tech. We'll make sure that the link is in the show notes. Lisanne, this was great. 
Thank you so much for joining us today. It's a great conversation, really helpful, a lot of practical advice, and I know there's going to be a lot more when you give your talk at Advancing Research. Uh, again, thank you, Lisanne Norman, uh, the uh, co-director of DEI at the Hotchkiss School uh, and uh, former and hopefully future, once in future, UX research leader. Thanks again for joining us today. Thanks, Lou. This was great. I had a great time and can't wait to talk to you all more during the conference. Thanks for listening to the Rosenfeld Review brought to you by Rosenfeld Media. If you like our show, please subscribe and review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast platform. I'd love it if you tell a friend to have a listen and check out our website for over 100 podcasts with other interesting people. You'll find them all at rosenfeldreview.com.